You talk dirty to me. The Quick and the Dirty with Hillary and Sandra. You're kidding me. Here are things that I have put in my mouth. Um, oh my God, Hillary. <laughs> it's what everyone is talking about. Get jazzy on. And I'm Sandra from Ottawa, and welcome to the Quick and the Dirty podcast. It's basically a podcast about things that you talk about with your friends, except we record them and how pitiful we are and then post it online. Yeah, and then sometimes we have really, really great guests to make us look really, really good. Like this week, uh, we're going to talk to a colleague of ours from another radio station. Uh, The topic of this week's podcast will be food insecurity, something we haven't actually tackled yet. Right. And then we'll also talk about some of the other interesting stuff that he does. And of course, we have to kick it all off with the quick is, which is basically where we recap all of our failures from the week. Sandra, I want to start with you. Of course you do, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Am I a pretty lady? Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much. Am I still a pretty lady? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm going to Jamaica this weekend, and I just want to double check with everybody. My friends tell me that when you go to Jamaica and they call you a pretty lady, it's because they're being paid to call you a pretty lady. Do you think I, you think that's true? No. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, well, <laughs> the way you said it, obviously it is true. But I'm one of those jerks that has those vacation countdown apps. Okay. And everybody hates my guts. Four days, 23 hours, 29 minutes, and 10, 9, 8 seconds until I leave. Obviously, uh, we recorded this podcast uh, before the release date. Uh, <laughs> but like any, I have gone almost to every single person in my life and I've showed them this app and everybody hates me and I don't care. <laughs> like, have you been posting it on social media? Because I haven't seen it. I have been posting it on my Instagram story with the, with the headline, in case you were wondering, <laughs> because... <laughs> Everybody's been wondering when I'm going on vacation. And, the, and you know, I celebrate vacations only because it's me. So that's pretty important. And because I, I've never needed a vacation more in my 37 years ever. OK, because you you didn't really get a vacation this year. I know. And I find it it's a long stretch between Christmas and May. Uh, most people go away you know, during March break, but I, I we're, you know, we have to work and I can't afford to go in February, late February, because it's too expensive to bring the family. And then we did. And it's like right after Christmas. It's like a thing. So it's, it's just a lot of money to travel this year in particular. So I decided to get together with a couple of girlfriends um, and kind of like last minute, a few weeks ago, we booked this epic trip to Jamaica where it has been blown up in my mind. I mean, I have visions of me much like Bo Derek running on the <laughs> beach in slow motion that's how that's how That'll this be a trip little is bit more jiggling i've seen your rack <laughs> i don't even like yeah you could lose an eye on this trip i don't even walk okay without jiggling i have like the, these romanticized like visions of me waking up in the morning uh getting a cup of coffee going to the ocean where the ocean will reveal itself to me and the universe will things will happen right. you know the universe will speak to me then i'll go for a nice long walk on the beach and also more things will be revealed to me because the universe does that. If it rains, you're going to be so I'll, mad. You know, I don't know, because the pool bar is also in that mix. And I can make a lot of, I don't know, I feel like a lot of revelations <laughs> happen at pool bars as well. Just by talking to random people, you know? They're called hallucinations, Sandra. Pardon me? Hallucinations? It's called hallucinations, the, not yeah, revelations. Lo- <laughs> Although, you and I have made a couple of important life revelations. Thank you. You know the value well, of, of yeah. pool time and the value of hot tub time, especially. Yeah, I am not going on this trip, sadly, but I don't feel like you really need to go. I mean, it's going to be 20 and sunny most of the week here in London. I'm going. 
I got it. I'm also mad about that. I wanted the weather to be worse <laughs> so that everybody hated me a little more. I wanted it to like snow and everybody be like, Sandra, Sandra's in Jamaica. Yeah, I am. And they're calling me a pretty lady. <laughs> so this is less about you actually going on vacation and more about everybody hating you again with the superiority yeah. complex. <laughs> Do we need to bring back the velvet ropes? I uh, want it's ironic because the first thing you see at the airport, velvet ropes. They're not, they're the seatbelt well, yeah, ones. Whatever. They're the seatbelt ropes, but it's the same concept. It's the elitist concept that I'm totally down with. So I'm fine uh, with that. It's not really all that elite. You're, you're squished in there like chickens in a chicken coop. If you walk in like you own the joint, it doesn't matter, Hillary. It's all about, present, <laughs> as my mother says, it's all about presentation. Now so, I have a question. Yes. A full week in Jamaica, are you flying carry on? Yeah. High low May? I'm going high low May again. I am going carry on. Much to the what? chagrin of my girlfriend, who is my friend Katrina said she'd do it with me as well. But Donna turns out she's the princess. Donna is all about like, I'm bringing full size shampoos. And I'm like, whatever. You can't because she can't. Her hair can't touch the hotel shampoo. Hotel for shampoo? One it, just, it, it, it may not touch her scalp is where she's at. So I'm like, right. OK, can you throw in some sunscreen for me? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's weird? I'm going away this weekend as well. We're going to Austin, Texas to see a concert. Nice. And I'm flying carry-on and my boyfriend is checking his luggage. God, what? How long are you going for? We're going for four days, but he's got a lot of hair and beard product that can't be harnessed. Oh, come on. <laughs> he, he can't get travel sizes of everything? No, no. He wants his full body wash. And all. he also, he has one size su- suitcase that's kind of in between carry-on and checked. It's too big for checked, but not small enough for carry-on. And yeah, he, he's did, stubborn. Did you say that so, he carries a body wash with him? Oh, yeah. Full size. Oh, my God. This guy God. is all about scent. What? Okay, well... I mean, are you going to He's have... like more high maintenance than I That's... am. And I know you find that difficult to believe. I've seen you put yourself together when we were in Nashville. That <laughs> was a lot. <laughs> and how you had the closet lay. Come and see the closet, Sandra. And oh. then you. <laughs> <laughs> I have to unpack on vacation. Everything... You don't unpack? I kind of I unpack. I fully yeah. unpack into drawers. But you were so sweet. You had everything hung up. Everything was like in order of outfit and evening and all the hair products were out. Yeah, you were. That was pretty adorable. I can't imagine anyone being more high made than you. What? I uh, Here's the thing. I can go without liquids, but I need three hairstyling tools. Of course. <laughs> I'm totally down with that. So, uh, you know, I, I'm total. I'm going to go full low May uh, next week and I'll dedicate the week to you. What do you think of that? All right, pretty lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sandra, don't say it like to... that, Hillary. OK, tell me what's your quick this week. Oh, I had the most embarrassing encounter at work this week. It was terrifying. So uh, we lost our engineer here at the station. They, I don't know the reasons for him being let go, but he was let go. Oh, I thought he died. And okay, well, that's, no, that's fine. Well, it's I don't fine, know why, what happened. He was a, a nice guy. Um, but uh, <laughs> we have a company filling in. And have you ever run into somebody in a weird context where you weren't expecting it and all of a sudden it throws you for a loop? Yeah, and you don't know exactly know who they are, but you know that you know them? Like right. that? Yeah. So I'm sitting at work doing my thing and this guy walks in and I look at him and immediately I feel panic stricken. But it takes me a second to understand why I'm starting to sweat and I can't speak in full words. Please don't tell me it's because you've slept with him. No, I did not sleep with him, but I did work with him. He was an engineer when I was working in Toronto, like 
13 years ago. And uh, I had the biggest crush on Tony. Like the biggest crush on Tony. This is back when I was too shy to speak in public and everybody thought I was a bee. Um, (laughs) That thought. (laughs) And the funniest thing is this guy is so mild mannered and so sweet. And I think that's why I always liked him because he was more afraid of me than I was of him. (laughs) He sounds like a Clark Kent type. Kind of, except more Italian and more buff. Okay, this uh, this is a very nice picture you're painting right now. And it he's got a little more facial hair. He's not clean. And cut. Does he have a full head of hair? And I bet it's like not thick anymore. And, oh, Tony! It's been 13 years, oh, Tony. But it, I I couldn't understand why I completely lost my words, and it took a second for it to click in. And then my coworker watches me as I try to recover. I'm like, oh hey, ha up. Uh, Hillary, if you don't remember, and I try to reintroduce myself, and I go to shake his hand, and he's like not really sure what's happening, and he's looking at me like I'm crazy, probably the same way he looked at me when I worked in Toronto, and I have no feelings for him right now, but it's so funny how one of those moments can just carry you back to what a failure you were in your 20s. Right. Like, I was a disaster. I had no game. It's no wonder that I'm in my late 30s and still not married. <laughs> Did he um, remember you, though? Oh, yeah. It clicked eventually. <laughs> and he, but then, then he, as and soon he as went he saw beat you, red. He, so he must have known that I had a crush on him. And then he, uh, oh, so is, so is he around the station now? Uh, every couple of weeks or so, yeah. It's super awkward. And but like, how does he treat you? Is he shy around you because he knows that he's uh, desired? I don't know. I think he's just shy around everyone. He's very quiet, very quiet. I don't know. I like the mumblers. <laughs> but you know, it's what? like I can yell at them and they won't talk back. <laughs> but it's funny when you you're dealing with someone who's mild mannered, and then you think that they like you, then you're just trying to play it cool. But then you're not really playing it cool because now yeah, you're not playing, playing it cool your at hand. all. Yeah, I know. I've done that. You just like don't look. Don't look up, Sandra. Just stay cool. Stay cool. Stay cool. And here's Bo-Derek. the other problem with quiet people. You're like, "Oh, maybe they're quiet around me cuz they like me." No, they're just quiet. They're terrified. No interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to get inside the head of a quiet person. Like those shy people <laughs> who are kind of mousy. I've always wanted to know what their inner dialogue is to be honest with you. Like, what are you what are you thinking of? Why are you scared <sighs> of me? What happened to you? Like, what happened to you that you are afraid to talk in front of another human being? What, I used to be scared? that person, though. But why? What, why? what are you afraid of? Uh, I just was so afraid that I would come off as a fool. And when I was working in Toronto, you're working with all these big wigs, people who you idolize. And I wouldn't talk to anyone. It was so bad that my boss had to pull me into a room and say, everyone thinks you're a bitch. Please say hi in the hall. Right. And as we've discussed many times on this podcast, if you're going to be called a bitch, be called a bitch on merit, not because somebody you have a resting bee face or some reason, an assumption. It should be because you are. Exactly. Own that. (laughs) And just for the record, record, I think you are a bitch, honey, if that is any consolation. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you. No, I'm here for you. I am. (laughs) So say hi to Tony. Okay, for me. I will. See him. That'd be great. <laughs> okay, you ready to introduce our guest this week on the Dirt Tape? So ready. Okay. I love this guy. Okay, so I'm turning up his 
He's, I like that I'm taking you through it. I'm putting the volume up. Uh, yeah, take our I listeners am. through your process. I, I, I actually, I don't know how to introduce <laughs> this guest because I've been working in the same building with him for like 14 years almost. I think so, yeah. And uh, he does a lot of work with youth homelessness, food insecurity. He does a 24-hour challenge uh, that we're going to talk about uh, coming up. He also happens to have the deepest voice that I've ever heard. Please welcome to the Quick and the Dirty podcast, Eric Bowman. Hello. <laughs> hey, Eric. So good to hear from you. Now, I met Eric a few years ago, maybe at Music Week, Canadian Music Week in Toronto. We have a regular conference there, so we're familiar. Yes. Good to hear from you, Killer. That's my wrestling nickname. <laughs> Can I, I am a regular listener of your podcast. That's what I wanted to address, Hillary. I don't know if you knew it, but I mean, I I don't get warm fuzzies a lot because I'm me. But every once in a while, I'll talk to Eric in the hallways and he'll make a reference to our podcast. And I get a I get a genuine like soft feeling in my heart. Like what a compliment it is that a colleague of mine you would even take the time to listen to our podcast because i know you listen to a lot of different podcasts so yeah so uh thank you for sticking with us probably just listens for the fail the fail yeah probably (laughs) (laughs) i find it very interesting uh, you know like this you were just talking about uh being on vacation i've only been to a resort once and they call you pretty lady and you're worried about that i went to a resort once and it was in Mexico, and there was one attendant there who, for the entire week, called me Fatso. <laughs> <laughs> did you give him a tip at the end of the week or not I, so much? I did, but I think he actually thought that was my name, and he took the time to, to learn my name, and my wife had called me Fatso at the buffet. And I was there with my wife and her best friend. It was just the three of us, and he thought I was there with two women and kept trying to feed me extra to keep me extra strong, fat, so, you know, you're going to need it. And so the entire week, he would, hey, fat, so, come over here where there's hamburgers. And so I never was sure if he was making fun of me, like, you need more food because you're fat, or he always had that wink and pointed at the girls. You know? <laughs> Eric, can I just start with one quick question, and this is off topic, and I hope it doesn't make make you uncomfortable in any way but i started the podcast by introducing you as someone who's the person i know who is, has the deepest voice i need to know answer honestly because we're all friends okay. do you do you have giant testicles <laughs> <laughs> do, are they just tell me i are they like water size. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> do they hang in the water like <laughs> just tell us it's just us it's just our just us uh, yeah i've <laughs> I don't believe they're of unusual size, but I okay. have very few to compare them with. Okay, good. I just knew, I know? wanted to clear that up. <laughs> I have one more question before we get into the content of this podcast. Eric, do you have a podcast? Uh, not really, no. Okay, because I was going to bust Sandra for not listening to your podcast if you have one. He actually, see, that's a lie because you started a podcast. He answered, the answer should, you, the, the way you answer that is either yes or no, well, not not really. It's on hiatus. So he had a podcast, Hillary. It's on hiatus. And I did listen to your inaugural episode. Yes, you did. Which I told you about. So there. And I thank you for that. Well, how many people listen to that inaugural episode? Is that why you're on Nine. hiatus? <laughs> There were nine, and for my second one, there were four. It was going in the wrong direction. Gotcha, gotcha. (laughs) So, Eric, you are passionate about preventing uh, youth homelessness and food insecurity. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I've been working with an organization here in Ottawa called Operation Come Home for the past 
about 13 years, 14 years, I'd say. And what they do is they try to prevent homeless youth from becoming homeless adults. And really the whole thing is, uh, the idea is, uh, you know, the old saying that uh, stitch in time saves nine, right? That the earlier you get to something, if you can nip it in the bud, then the less of a problem it'll be later on. And that's not just for an individual, it's for everybody as well. And when it comes to something like food insecurity, uh, I mean, right now, 7 million Canadians are food insecure, which is almost a quarter of our country, right? I mean, that's a huge, huge number. And you don't really see it. But if you can get it early, if you can find a way to, uh, you know, prevent that at a young age, then it doesn't continue into adulthood. That totally makes sense to me. And it's something that uh, I'm kind of passionate about as well, at least the the youth homeless stuff. Um, my partner runs a youth shelter. Yes, I've heard that on your podcast. <laughs> no, I'm totally behind that. So, yeah, Eric, absolutely. what drew you to this particular uh, cause? Because I know that you've been, since I've known you, you've been working with uh, this organization and you've been doing the 24-hour food challenge, 24 hours of homelessness, all that kind of thing. Were you yourself a homeless teen or have you struggled in any way in the past? No, uh, although I constantly recognize that I could have been. I left home when I was 17, and I was fortunate enough to have friends at university who uh, took me in, and I paid, I think, $130 rent, and as long as I was entertaining and uh, cleaned the house a little bit, they were cool with me living there. And so I managed to make it through uh, without ever actually experiencing homelessness, but I'm fully aware of how on the, you know, on the border I was, certainly when I left home and uh, throughout my school years. Yeah, like you think about, like me too, when I went to uh, university and to college and I left home, I had a safety net. I had my parents helping me out and they supplemented my income. But I often thought, if I didn't have parents to throw me 100 here or $50 there, that would have been the difference between eating this week and not eating this week. So I think that it's easy to see that anyone could be on the fringe that way, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and most of the people who I would say, the vast majority of homeless people in Canada are invisible. Yeah. Right. You don't see them. They're not the ones on the streets. They're not the ones panhandling. They're not, uh, for the most part, they're people who live in their cars, people who move from apartment to apartment, who couch surf with friends, who, you know, you don't see them as homeless, but they are as homeless as everybody else. So what do you see as the best way the average person could give or participate to make this better? I really think that the best way that your average person can participate is to advocate for a guaranteed minimum income. Uh, This is a pilot project that is going on all over Canada, several different locations right now. They're testing it to see if it works. Uh, Here, right right in this area, Smith Falls was one of the places it was supposed to be tested for it. They voted it down because they were scared of it. It has to be tested. It has to be tried. And the results have to be really looked at once uh, once these pilot projects are done. What do you mean a minimum income? I mean, a minimum wage? No, no. What it is is something that uh, they're testing out to replace welfare. Basically, everybody in whatever community is doing the test, you are guaranteed to get a certain amount of money, whether that be $18,000, $21,000 a year. And it goes up if you have kids, if you're, you know... So it supplements an existing income if you're working poor and the government will give you this money. You just take the money and do what you will with it. So instead of having a welfare program where 
you have to apply for welfare, and there are a lot of things that disincentivize work. This simply just says no matter what it is you do, you're going to make a minimum of this amount of money, $23,000, $25,000, whatever it is. Okay, let's talk about the $24 food challenge because that works part and parcel with all of this and food insecurity. Yeah. So I asked Eric about it. For some reason, I thought it was a two-week challenge, Hillary, because uh, it feels like it's two weeks long because it's painful to watch you do it. And we all, I mean, we, we joke at your expense and even you talk about your raw emotions coming into play. And so if, what did you say? One, one in four Canadians at some point have dealt with some kind of food insecurity. And I, I know that there's degrees of that too. There definitely are. And it's a difference of, you know, there's certainly food insecurity, like a homeless person. And then food insecurity, like needing the food bank. Two different scales, right? Absolutely, yeah. But uh, the way that we try to do it is every year we've taken the basic government stipend that's given to a homeless youth. So we took a 17-year-old average youth at Operation Come Home, and we uh, specifically took the amount of money that was given to them by the government. After they dealt with all the other expenses, if they're trying to get a job, if they're trying to get a housing, if they're trying to get all these other things, what's left for food? And it came down to $24 a week. And so we thought, all right. Given that, let's see if we could actually live on $24 a week and what it would be like. And so we've been doing it for about four years now, and it sucks. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. what's your typical sucks. menu, and do you take into account that like most kids are going to eat certain things? No, we don't take that into account because, frankly, the kids that we serve don't live like this. Right? They panhandle. They will find a meal they'll go into you know a, a shelter for a meal at breakfast a different shelter for a meal at lunch and then right. you know they'll find a way to get free meals whereas if you were on your own with 24 dollars, it's a much different thing so what we do is we shop at the bar bargain bargain places your food basics your giant tiger sometimes walmart has great deals and you know try to get as much as you can for as little as possible you're not getting much, uh, a lot of healthy foods, that's for sure. I mean, because if I had $24 a week, I'd be like, okay, well, I guess I'm having uh, 24 boxes of Kraft Dinner, and that's yeah. the end uh, of but, it. But Kraft Dinner Dinner's too expensive. Ramen. Uh, Ramen, yeah. Well, the Giant Tiger knockoff brand of Kraft Dinner is actually very cheap. I believe it's 49 cents a box, and it's dreadful. And, it, it prob- <laughs> how, how, and you yeah. probably don't have milk or butter. No, you don't. Um, and so what I did this year is I decided to go all like super chefy on the whole thing. Right. And so I got cans of coconut milk because they were on for like four for a dollar 50 at food basics. So I got four cans of coconut milk. So I used that to make my craft dinner. I used it to bake a loaf of bread. I used it for absolutely everything in, in place of real milk. Well, I was going to say, when I have uh, coconut milk, bad things happen to my stomach. So I feel like, <laughs> yeah. and that, that happens very early on into the whole coconut. Four <laughs> cans of coconut milk. It's like things are moving down there. Yeah. Things now, are happening. You talked a lot about how it changes your mental outlook and also like the physical. It does. I, when when you sort of take, I don't know how much stock you put in these things that tell you how many calories you're supposed to consume in a day, right? But I think I'm supposed to consume 1,600 calories a day or something like that for my height and weight and age and what have you. And even with this, eating as much as I could for three, maybe four meals even a day, I was having seven to 800 calories a day. That's and- uh <laughs> But not, but the wrong kinds of the calories kinds is of the calories whole point, right? And so many fewer calories than what you would actually need. 
Right. You're probably all carbs, which just disintegrate, basically. It's salt. It's almost all salt because everything canned, everything in a box is preserved using a buttload of salt. And so everything you eat dries your mouth out, makes you just, I mean, you're, you're constantly feel like you're retaining water. Yeah. And then you, you know. start acting salty. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> like, my brain goes. I, I can't concentrate after about four days. I can't really focus on uh, my work the way I normally would. After, by the seventh day, I'm having trouble reading, you know. You, read, you know when you sit down, you open a book, and you read a whole chapter and then realize you have absolutely no idea Yeah, because you're read. not concentrating you're, anymore, and your mind is elsewhere, and you can't even focus. So, you, yeah. like, everything messes with you. Yeah. And, I, you know, sometimes I get a really short fuse. Other times I just get disinterested and stop paying attention to life. You know, there have been times I've snapped. This year, I did it with my uh, 18-year-old stepson. So he wanted to do it with me. So we had $48 for the two of us for the week. And one, and I baked this bread with coconut milk, and I had two loaves, and that was going to be it for the week. And one morning, I come down, and he's left the crust of one loaf and eaten half of the other loaf in the middle of the night. And I get up for work at 2 in the morning, and I was ready to go in his room and just yell. I was going to wake him up with pots and pans. I was going to put the dogs in his bed. Like, man, I was You just angry. wanted to cry, probably, oh, because that was like the rest of your week. Yeah, I was just... I was furious like I wanted to throw furniture around this is how I feel when I'm on a diet and I have like diet food in the fridge and I'm like this is all my food family don't touch my food and then of course I have teenagers too they'll touch your food oh yeah and then I just get like super emotional when I'm dieting see I do it though by choice I understand (laughs) fully that uh, people with food insecurities don't and and obviously they don't have the obviously the same options that I would have um how tragic, really, when you think about it. It's I know it's only a week of your life. Do you feel guilty, too? You're like, wow, here I am doing it for a week, and these people yeah. suffer every single Definitely. day, and they don't know where their next meal is coming from and Some in some cases. Absolutely, and more than anything, I feel guilty for the people who have to budget like this all the time. Yeah. And the way that our food system is set up is not set up to be advantageous to these people. It's set up to be advantageous to people who have just a little bit more money. People who can go to Costco and buy in bulk. People who can, you know, you can take advantage of that. Hey, four cans for $1.50. Well, if you only have 60 cents, you can get one can, right? One kilogram of flour is four ninety nine, and 10 kilograms of flour is five ninety nine. You know, but if you only have a certain amount, then you're really not making it go as far. And beyond that, you need a place to put it. That too. And that's why a lot of food banks will say the best thing you can do- donate is Tupperware. You know? I didn't know that. Yeah. I, like, I, the best thing you can donate is Tupperware. That's brilliant. Yeah. Way better than cans, way better than boxed macaroni and cheese. I mean, the things that most people do donate. Uh, cash, obviously, is still the best thing to donate to a food bank. But if you have Tupperware that's clean and never been used, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no shot of you getting anything fresh in your body in that uh, $24 challenge, is there? Uh, you know what? This year, because we had the $48, I could afford two pounds of carrots. And so I was going to use those. I was going to put them into other things. And then, no, I'm just eating them raw because that's you need that freshness. And in, in past years, no way. There's nothing fresh going in. There was no way you could eat anything fresh. And... It that weighed on me more than anything. I remember years, years in the past where the first thing I do, you think, oh, you can put on a steak, you want cheese, I crave cheese. No, 
I'll eat a whole head of lettuce the day that it's done, you know? Now, what's your diet like normally? Um, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed because to swear see... here, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah they, they've shut that down, Eric. Yeah. So it's, okay, it's terrible. Yes. So for someone like me, like I eat pretty healthy and a lot of veg- vegetables and stuff, it would kill me to do this. How different is the diet, like... From your average diet, is it just that you're not getting as many fruits and vegetables? So it really, like, I would imagine it backs you up a bit. Yeah, it does do that. And what's <laughs> weird is that from year to year, it will affect me differently. One year, I lost eight pounds in a week, and the next year, I gained two. What? And you go, like, how is that possible? I'm not gaining salt. I'm not eating if you're it's retaining salt. water, for salt. sure. And it's a week's worth of retaining water, and it's terrible. Uh, but no, my diet normally is not dreadful. I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. I like to think of myself as a foodie. I do a lot of cooking. I do a lot of stuff. But like yesterday, for example, I made a pork roll and then I wrapped it in bacon and I put all of tapenade inside. It's not entirely healthy. So it healthy. started out kind yeah. of okay? Delicious. <laughs> it's delicious. He put an olive tapenade I in did. there, Hillary. I don't know if you heard that last part. Yeah. A, a tapenade, if mm, you will. If you will. <laughs> <laughs> do you... <laughs> I never. I don't think I've ever heard a grown man use the word tapenade. So that was well, pretty exciting. Well, you don't exciting, watch Eric. enough cooking shows. I clearly don't Alton watch Brown enough cooking shows. Tapenade in his day. He so, has. but so as someone who is a foodie, and to scale your your foodie, you know, foodiness down that week, you know, for a week to twenty four dollars, that is. Uh, I just think about the wastefulness of our society as well. Is that highlighted as well? I mean, how many fruits and vegetables I buy that I don't eat? I'm sad to tell you. How many? Um, I'll buy. I I buy lots of lettuce in my life because every week I'm like, I'm going to have a million salads this week because my intentions are always so great. And then it goes bad and I'm always like, God, it, our society is so wasteful. It really is. We really are terribly wasteful when it comes to especially fresh produce. Yeah. And a lot of that is because the store itself begins with uh, a wasteful process where they'll only put out the prettiest peppers and the rest actually will go in the garbage a lot of the time. And, and they bleach a lot of their garbage so they can't be reconsumed. Right, so that people can't go dive in and take what is genuinely a reasonably good pepper and, you know, for free. Which I'm sorry, is do I, am I missing something? Why, I, why is that a thing? They do it to, well, to quote unquote, protect people from eating bad food and the liability, but it's really so that people don't dumpster dive. And then they and have to eat come for in free. and buy. Why not just donate to food and shelters that, and say, okay, guys, this stuff is like you've got one day, go have a fruit. Why? There are more m- movements now that are pushing towards that. Where the groceries, once they're past their shelf expiry, they'll then move to food banks for immediate consumption. But uh, it, it's just kind of getting off the floor here in London. I don't know what it's like in Ottawa. Uh, it's like that, too, in Ottawa, although I think there's probably more red tape here. Right? You keep hearing about uh, there was a pizza place in Stittsville that was donating its pizzas at the end of the day to one of the shelters. They had to stop doing that because they couldn't transport it over that distance without it being, like, I don't Refrigerated, know. Refrigerated, probably. Yeah. Well, yeah, or something to that effect. And so uh, it wasn't healthy by definition, by the letter of the law, so they had to stop doing it. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of red tape that should be cut through if we're going to do something like that. I mean, right now here in Ottawa, you can donate food you grow in your own backyard to the food bank. So you can grow potatoes and then you can take that into the food bank and donate, you know, 10 potatoes at a time. 
Uh, not a lot of people do that. I but. never even I never even thought that was a thing. And I, here I am. I'm this crazy gardener. That's great. That's great information to have, actually. Yeah, I usually end up with a couple extra giant zucchinis that I'll take by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you what said zucchini, you right? He <laughs> really did. Um, the can circle I, can, of life. Can I ask you a tip? <laughs> I got to ask you a terrible question. Okay. And I maybe maybe I'm asking you because it's self-serving because I feel like a terrible person. But when I walked down the street and I used to see a young person who was panhandling, I would actually get angry. And I think to myself, original, I don't think that anymore, but I have thought this before. Um, why don't you get a job? You're able-bodied. Here we are in Canada, this great country that has a million social safety nets, in theory, a uh, million social programs to get you working. And you wanna, you're sitting there and you're not working. And here I am busting my balls every day, trying to work and hustle for my family. Why aren't you? And then there's the other uh, notion that if I give money to someone who's homeless, it's just going to go to the bottle. It's possible that it you know, will. So I, do, I never know what to do. So I've changed my attitude and I realize that homelessness is not necessarily a choice. Some people, some people don't want to help themselves. I don't know if you would agree with that statement. I, would argue, I don't even think addiction is necessarily a choice. And I would argue right. that homelessness is never a choice. Okay. I would say that three things go hand in hand all the time. Homelessness addiction and mental health problems okay and so the social safety net that you talk about is certainly wide and it's it's not all encompassing and a lot of people fall through the cracks of that safety net and when they do it's more often than not because of mental health problems and so if you don't have the capacity from day to day to keep up with a consistent schedule of going to this meeting and that meeting and talking to this specialist and that specialist then there's not much that they can do for you. And you need on-the-ground community organizations who can bring these people together, give them a sense of community, and give them the option to go through, you know, an addictions counseling program or mental health counseling or whatever it is that they might need. And so there's a great program that's going on in Canada right now called Housing First. And the idea being that step one to making people not homeless is to give them a house. Right. And that's kind of basic. It's kind of basic, but it's sort of counterintuitive to a lot of people. The reason is that what what is craved and what's needed is stability and stability in housing can lead to stability in addictions and in mental health or vice versa. But one of those things has to be tackled first and all three should be tackled together. But beyond that, Sandra, think about yourself as a landlord. If you are going to take somebody in into your home, a lot of these people aren't making enough money or don't have enough to sustain a whole apartment to themselves. They're going to rent a room. How likely are you to rent a room to somebody who has no social or um, or no safety net? Right. Nobody to vouch for them. Yeah. No. Unlikely. Why would I? That's a bad, that makes me a bad business person is what I would think it would make me. Right. Also, no social insurance number, no ID, no driver's license, no way of identifying themselves. Wow. What a vicious circle. Well, it really is. So and beyond, sorry, go ahead. No, I would just say that when you, uh, when I pass somebody on the street, if I have, you know, something to eat, I'll give it to them. I usually won't give money, but I'll at least acknowledge them. I'll talk to them. Because I think acknowledging their humanity is the number one thing that you can do for somebody who's that down and out that they're sitting there panhandling. Do you think that most people are um, fall into the category like I am, which is ignorance? 
because maybe I don't necessarily understand. Like most people don't have the understanding of homelessness that you have or even Hillary has. And I obviously don't understand how complicated it is and what got them to that place. When I even implied that it was partly a choice for some, not all, but for some, I'm I'm wrong, obviously. And you just schooled me on that. I get that. But do you think a big part, too, is that the rest of us as a society, not to group us as us and them, I don't mean to do that either, but that we also need to be educated? I think so. But I think that education, um, I, I think that, you know, people pay attention to social issues and they pay attention to a social safety net, but they kind of don't look beneath that net and see who's fallen through the cracks. Yeah. Right. I mean, when we we're talking about food insecurity right now, all the stories in Canada are that we're at a record rate of economic growth. Our stock markets are going up. Our GDP is going up. It's never been so good to be Canadian. We're talking about middle-class tax cuts. What we don't see is the people that this leaves behind, right? The uh, the scarcity of water on Indigenous land is getting worse, right? Indigenous communities, First Nations, Métis, Inuit, are all more likely to be food insecure than they were 10 years ago. It's getting worse. It's getting worse for new Canadians. It's getting worse for immigrants, for refugees. It's getting worse there. So... Although Canada is doing well, and that's what we look at, and that's the story, and that's the news, we tend to look at the mean and not the median. You know what I mean? I totally get what you're saying. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around social assistance as well. Like, people think, oh, well, you're getting a check from the government, so you don't want to work. But there's actually downsides to working because they start taking away your assistance. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago, that imagine welfare in the UK, and people are on welfare, and if you found out that somebody on welfare was choosing not to work and instead was going to fulfill their lifelong dream to be a writer, and you'd be like, you taker, you lazy bum, ah, you, you take my money. Well, what if that person turns out to be J.K. Rowling? Has that not paid for all of the welfare system in the UK for all the years she used it <laughs> right. and then some? Do you know what I mean? So in the end, I think this is why I advocate for the you know basic minimum income is because if everybody starts out with at least their head above water, then they can go places on their own. But when you start underwater then you need a whole lot of hands to pull you out. Wow, there's fewer you know, opportunities for sure if you're fewer, underwater. And you... Really, there's nowhere to begin. So as a Canadian, and I know we're talking big picture now, and I feel sometimes we, what can I do, let's say, tomorrow? What can I do tomorrow if I want to make a change? And I, and I, I, I get that that's a pretty basic question that a lot <laughs> yeah. of people might ask you, and I don't necessarily know that it would do anything, but I, I think that education is a big part of it, too. I think it is. I think... If you see somebody panhandling, stop and talk to them. You know, just acknowledge them as a human being and find out what uh, makes them tick. Don't question them. How did you get here and what's your status and what's your, you know, just have a conversation. Or go to a food bank and see how needed it is, even in, in communities that don't look like they need it. One of the most, one of the busiest food banks here in Ottawa is in one of the most wealthy communities. And that's because... 
it's hidden. Uh, food insecurity is not something that you see. Right. Yeah. So, and Ottawa is a very affluent city uh, on paper. For yeah. sure. You, you you think of Ottawa Hills, you think of this this white-collared oh, government town. Uh, but yeah, we have it just like anybody else and, and no greater or fewer numbers than any other city. It, but like you say, it is hidden. And when I actually Googled uh, food insecurity oh, to just get yeah. like I, I wikied it, Hills, uh, just to get some <laughs> stats. And it, the, the stats hold true with what you say. It says one in eight households in Canada is food insecure. That is absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, it's and it may be intermittent. It's it may not be every year, or it may not be for a long period of time. You never know when somebody's going to lose their job and not be able to put food on that table because they got to choose paying the mortgage over food. And you'll see that in some communities, the food bank gets more and more and more customers every year, if you will. And then maybe in another community, gets fewer and fewer. Well, it's not necessarily because they're fixing the problem, right? Food banks and homeless shelters and outreach centers and all that are really fixing the symptom of the problem. And that problem is there's an enormous income gap and we don't even see the people at the bottom end of that. So open your eyes, people, open them. Yeah. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. We didn't even get to the fact that you own part of the Green Bay Packers. Well, I am just one of 370,000 proud share owners. I display it. I put it on my wall and I tell people that, see, this is, people say my senators here in Ottawa because they're a fan of the team. They're not really your senators, but they are my Packers. (laughs) I've got a Packers t-shirt hidden in the bottom of one of my dressers from an old flame. Uh, so what happens when you go to a game, by the way? Do you walk in like you own the joint and you're like, give me a hot dog. I don't have to pay for it. I'm an owner here. Does that work you know like what? that? I've never been to Lambeau Field. I've never what? been to oh, the God. home what? of the Packers. I, I'm going to try that, though. <laughs> you know. Just walk in. I don't need a ticket. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. Do it. And I keep sending them emails telling them they have to cut Devontae Adams and they haven't done that yet. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know I might not have that much pull. I haven't figured it out. <laughs> That's another podcast, Eric. We're going to have to delve deeper into (laughs) that. We'll do another podcast on your testicles as well, if that's okay. You know, (laughs) as I get older, they're probably getting bigger. I'm sitting on them more than I used to. No, they're not getting bigger. They're just getting lower. There's a difference. There may be. Okay. I was having a discussion with somebody the other day. I don't know why I was talking about testicles, but it seems to be a theme in my life. Uh, How, as you get older, sometimes you'll go to move and one will stay in place. Yes. And that's how you injure yourself. And that happens more frequently because I'm right on the cusp, I think, of that age where I'm familiar with that happening. Right. And it's new, still new to me at right. times, too. Give it five more years. You're going to have a couple of low hangers, Eric. <laughs> I just I dread the day where I'm going to have to stop wearing short shorts. <laughs> It'll be tragic. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, guys. You're good people. Thanks so much, Eric. That was awesome. And don't forget to follow The Quick and the Dirty on social. Instagram, at Hillary on air, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. Twitter, at Hillary Welch, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. And Facebook, at Quick and Dirty Podcast. If you've got a question for us, you can email us at thequickandthedirty at gmail.com. 